What's up, everybody? Back in the studio in Kansas, in the hometown of Milford, we're joined by my good friend, at least I hope he considers me a good friend, Rusty. How the hell are you, buddy? I'm feeling great. I'm really glad that you're uh, in the studio with us and that you decided that you'd stop by and say hi. Hello, everyone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, tell everyone uh, in the audience, first of all, um, say your last name for me. My last name is Blodgett. Blodgett. Blodgett, yes. Rusty Blodgett. And uh, the reason why I wanted to have you on, Rusty, is because you've got a pretty interesting a pretty interesting life story. Um, you were in law enforcement. Why don't you just tell me what you've done? Let's start off with that. I basically, I was born and raised the youngest of 11. I sat there and joined the military, did a three-year hitch in the military, then ended up getting into law enforcement. Got into it on a bet, if you believe that or not. And then 40 years later, I've retired from it twice. Can you say um, which municipality you worked for or is that? No, that's fine. Yeah. I worked 28 years for the police department in Junction City, Kansas, during the heyday day, decade of the 70s and 80s and 90s, and then I did 11 years, almost 12 years with the police department on Fort Riley, Kansas. So talk to me about, uh, I wanted to ask you about the culture of the, of the police department. Um, obviously, a lot's changed in the, just within the last 10 years, but back when you were, were active duty... What was the culture like versus how it is now? Well, back in the 70s, when I started in 77, police officers were respected by the community. When a police officer asked you or told you to do something, you knew you should do it. Well, that's changed, as everybody can see, because now they say, I don't have to do what you tell me to do, and you end up having to convince them, beg them, or beat them in the submission. And officers don't want to beat anybody in submission. They would just ask, when they ask you or direct you to do something, you do it. Right. But back in my early days, we didn't have to worry that much about that. We had to worry about other things with multiple adversaries and things of that nature that worried us more than people not listening to what we, doing what we asked or anything like that. And it slowly, it was a slow transition, but it's ended up into what it is today now because laws changed, people's attitudes changed. I blame a lot of it on the 80s decade because the parents of the 80s, I won't play it, put it plain and simple, they lost track of what the heck it was to be a parent. They wanted to be their kids' friends. They didn't want to be a parent and teach them right and wrong and teach them how to treat people and things like that, and so that's where it's led us. Do you think that there's, um, there is in fact a racial bias that police officers have? No, and here's the thing. I taught my officers, every officer, I've trained probably 100 plus officers in my career, and I teach them the same thing. Treat people with respect as long as they deserve it. 
irregardless of what their skin color is, what their religious preference is, what their sexual orientation is, or anything else. You treat them with respect and treat them as you would want to be treated. If you do that, you're going to be a successful and a good police officer. I'm not going to sit there and say there aren't prejudiced people in law enforcement. That'd be a lie. But there's prejudiced people in all professions. Right. So people don't want to sit there and scream, oh, there's systemic racism in law enforcement. No. Racism is not systemic at all, in my opinion. It is a learned behavior. It is not something children are born with. You look at a one-year-old, a two-year-old, a three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old, they don't care about the color of someone's skin. Right. They don't care about any of that stuff. They're going to play. As long as you play, they're going to play. But yet. Well, and I don't think uh, I don't think the the way that the media co- has covered you guys has really helped the situation either. And especially when you have, uh, I mean, and I'm and I'm not speaking out against any um, specific affiliation like Republican Democrat, but mm-hmm. Obama didn't help your guys's case either. I mean, that's kind of what started the stop funding the police movement because things would come out and it seemed like he wasn't even on law enforcement side and didn't have your back, which in my opinion is a huge sign of disrespect. Well, when you speak of Obama, I'm going to say something that's going to make a lot of people angry and frankly, Scarlett, I don't care. Obama was the worst thing that happened to law enforcement in a long time, and Obama was one of the biggest racists I have ever seen in a political office. He wasn't a blatant one like a KKK member who wore the racial prejudices out in the open. No, he did it behind the scenes. You could see with how he dealt with his cabinet and everything else. You could see how he dealt with law enforcement in general. You could see about a lot of decisions. You sit there and you look at, look at the people who's Sentences he commuted in the last, in his last term in office. Really, you have a drug dealer, third time offender, who gets sentenced to life, has 27 names attached to him of people that were killed either by his people or under his orders. And you sit there and kick, release him out of jail. I was one of the people that he commuted the sentence from life to time served and let him out. But I but I think that that also has to do with legislation that they expect you guys to uphold. Because per capita right now, the United States has more people incarcerated than any other country. We we are we are putting people in jail it's for sometimes in my opinion frivolous situations that that don't necessitate having somebody occupying a jail cell when there are far worse people that belong to stay incarcerated behind bars. And I will concede that is correct in some cases. Cuz I mean doesn't that put you guys in a in a tough situation where they they give you these some some ridiculous laws that you guys are expected to enforce like for instance how would have you handled your chief coming down and saying um, we're, we're going to enforce the COVID 
this COVID law. They wanted you guys to arrest people that that hadn't been vaccinated, that were out in public areas. How do you handle something like that? It's the easiest way. There's there's ways to enforce laws that don't require incarceration, okay? Officers have discretion in some cases. In other cases, they don't because the law says they don't have that. An example of that, when it comes to a misdemeanor offense committed in the presence of a police officer, the law under Kansas law requires the officer take enforcement action, and if it's an arrestable offense, you must arrest that person. So the officer doesn't have discretion there. He has to do that. I've always done my law enforcement career, and a lot of officers do it the same way. If the law doesn't require me to arrest this person and it doesn't flat say you must arrest this person, I'm not going to arrest the person for that. Okay? And most officers live by that rule because there are a lot of stupid rules and stupid laws still on the books. And arresting someone because they don't want to get a vaccine? No. I'm not going to do that. A lot of officers aren't going to do that. In fact, a lot of officers didn't get the vaccine themselves because they didn't agree with it. I wish I could remember. Some were fired. Some quit because there was the option was either get it or you're going to be fired. Do you, okay, remember, I'll do you remember what police chief came out and, and like actively, like openly said, there's no way in hell we're arresting citizens for not getting the, the vaccine? Well, that happened in a couple of different states. I know down in, I want to say New Mexico or Arizona, somewhere in the Southwest, one of the sheriffs flat said, no, we're not doing that. We're not going to waste our time doing that. That's ridiculous. And then you had a, you had a governor and the chief of the sheriff's association, I want to say Wyoming, who flat said, no, we're not going to do that. We, we social distance just by staying home. Your nearest neighbor's 10 acres away. No, we're not going to be wasting our manpower and our resources arresting people on violating COVID restrictions set forth. It's, it's dumb. I'll be honest with you. <clears throat> First off, I've had family members that served in, in the police force and relatives and friends. Um, I believe there are many of them are really good police officers but i have had very um my my interactions with police officers has not been very positive and i and i try and be respectful and be upfront you know especially when you know you've done something wrong but i feel like sometimes these guys they've got a badge and a gun and that kind of goes to their head a little bit for instance, I was pulled over in Kansas while I was working at Fort Riley and because of COVID wasn't able to go back and renew my driver's license in Utah. Now, at the same time, I did have a warrant out of Utah for a, a traffic citation that wasn't paid because it got lost in the COVID hold, you know, the, the courts, they, they kept mm-hmm. postponing it and, it and it just got lost in, in transition, but regardless they they suspended the license i got pulled over in kansas i'm with my wife and my kids and my father and they took me to jail for that and the cop was pretty cool but i'm like man that is 
what a waste of taxpayers' money. He could clearly see I had it. I didn't have any priors, that I wasn't some. I wasn't on the top ten most wanted list. You know, my my vehicle was insured. It was licensed. Why why on earth is it is it necessary to arrest someone in front of his family and take him to jail for that? Well, basically, that's one of those laws, like I explained to you. That is one of those things that the officer's discretion is such he doesn't have any. That law in Kansas says if a subject has operated a motor vehicle on a suspended driver's license, you must arrest and take him into custody. The Kansas law says that. Sure. So the officer doesn't have any discretion with that. Now, depending on the circumstances, most officers try not to arrest someone if you're not being belligerent and everything else in front of their children. It's just they wouldn't like it to happen to them, so they don't want to do that. Sure. And I have to agree with you when we started out. There are some people who are, as I call them, badge heavies. They, they, they get that badge and they think they're Superman and they have all the power and the authority. And well, technically, they do, but you don't have to wield it willy-nilly and go off half-cocked and everything else with that power and authority that you've given by the your office and the oath that you swear to and that badge that you wear. You don't have to do that. I mean, there are guys that I've worked with that done that, and I've looked at them and I said... Why do you have to do that? We know you're the boss. We know you're the one with the power. Why do you have to sit there and act like a, excuse my terminology, an ass and just treat people like crap? This you, isn't Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, dude. I you understand. can say whatever you okay, want. I <laughs> but, and so I'm going, and that's most of my years in law enforcement, I got promoted fast. I was a sergeant at two and a half years in law enforcement experience. I was supervising people at that time. And as a supervisor, I tried to mold them into following my concept of how we should do law enforcement. And that's part of your job as a supervisor, to mentor, to teach, to instruct. And I tried to do that. I was lucky and I had people that were willing to be open and willing to try and willing to do it that way. But there are times you get guys who are just, this is the way I'm going to do it. This is, And there's nothing. Well, then what happens normally with those guys are the ones who end up constantly getting in fights, end up retiring early because they get injured because of the altercations they get involved in. Whether they start them or not, I'm not going to say yes or no, they start them all. But their attitude causes a lot of the problems that they have to deal with. Just like, and I've made this statement to people on the street, I've made this statement to um, law enforcement officers, how you deal with people and how they return that is going to affect what you do with them. Also, how you sit there and um, people on the street, how they interact with officers affects whether or not how that officer deals with them. Like I've told people, more people have talked themselves into a ticket from me than I have planned on giving. I've written a lot of tickets because yeah, you're a dick. You deserve this because sure. apparently no, absolutely. you didn't learn the first three times you were stopped and told not to do this. So now you pay the fine 
I'll see you in court if you want to fight it. No, honestly, um, when when I when I first uh, learned that you were a seasoned police officer, I was like, oh man, this guy could either be a real dick, or he could be really cool. And you are you've I mean you've become one of my best friends. Like you're, you I wish all cops had that mentality and were like you. But I, and and I'm surprised I've had so I worked in security for a short stint. Um, at one time I wanted to be a police officer until I was in security. And after that, I was like, this is not, this job is not cut out for me. Even though I had, um, I feel like I would have a good personality for it. I think when all you deal with, and, and let's be honest, it's not like you guys get called to go to birthday parties. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, like no, when no, you no. guys, you guys are always dealing with like the worst of the worst. How, how do you, how do you do that for that many years and not become, um, Desense. Well, how do you just not hate everybody? <laughs> Jokingly, I say, I tell people, if you're not wearing the blue or you're not part of the thin blue line, you're not part of me. And it's got nothing to do with anything else. Jokingly, but that's not true. How to keep from being desensitized. For 40 years, I dealt, and you don't deal with people at the best moments in their lives. Sure. Very seldom. But here's the thing. What I always drew back on was every time I dealt with those people, number one, was I able to help them? No matter what the situation was, was I able to help them? Did they come away feeling better in spite of what happened to them? Whether it was because I gave them a ticket or whether it was they were a victim of someone stealing their stuff or whatever it may be. If I could look at it myself and say, yeah, that interaction helped them, made them feel better about their situation or about themselves or whatever happened. And that's how I kept and was able to do this job for all those years. Do you think the training could be better? Overall? Yeah. I think overall it's pretty good, but there are areas we need to improve in. Interaction, just dealing with people. I mean, they do things like Throughout my career, you got specialized training for sexual assault investigations. That was learned through mistakes we made. So we bettered our training. Better training when it comes to self-defense for the officers so we don't have to end up going to deadly force all the time. Better de-escalation training when dealing with people who are agitated or mentally unstable, things like that. But they still need to continue improving those areas of training so we get better at dealing with these people. Why Why would you even want to be a cop? Like I said, I basically... You, you, came, in, you came in on a bet. Okay, so tell me that story. Okay, when I came out to Fort Riley, I came to Fort Riley in 1975. I was in the service. I got to be friends with a couple of police officers on the Junction City Police Department. One of them was from my old stomping grounds in Wisconsin, where I was born and raised. And so I, do a, I went on a couple of ride-alongs with him and a couple with this other officer. And we were just talking, and the guy from Wisconsin said, oh, you ever think about being a police officer? I said, no, not really good at taking orders. And he goes, well, you don't take orders. You're the one giving them in that situation. I said, well, I don't know. Never even thought about it. 
He says, well, I come to think about it. You couldn't do it. You'd either, you'd either quit before your probationary year was done or you'd get fired because of some smart-ass comment you make to somebody on the street. <laughs> and I go, well, whatever. Well, at the time, shortly thereafter we had that conversation, I got out of the military. And I had a job lined up on Fort Riley doing construction work. Well, that job fell through because the guy who was supposed to be the boss sat there and couldn't qualify for a secret security clearance, which is required for anybody working a military contract on an installation by, by federal law. So I was unemployed. I ended up going to work for a foundry, an iron foundry down in the south part of Geary County, south side of Junction City, and I was a grinder. Well, I was so paranoid about getting metal shavings in my eyes, I wore a pair of safety glasses, safety goggles, and a full face shield when I worked. the whole way. Yeah, when I worked. They were were doing a walk-in testing for the police department in Junction City on a Saturday. Thursday of that week, guess who gets a metal shaving in his eye at work? (laughs) Even with all that crap you even were wearing. All, yep, even with all that crap, I get, boom, and it stuck right in the iris of my eye. So I had to go get it taken out. I'm going, this is not what I look for. No, not happening. And so I happen to see the guy Friday night, and he tells me, you coming in for testing tomorrow? And here I am with an eye patch. I look like a pirate. You know, I got an eye patch over my right eye. And he goes, what the heck did you do? So I told him, he says, well, you coming in to take the test tomorrow? And I go, well, I don't know. He says, I bet you can't even pass it. Bet you a steak dinner you don't pass it. Oh, man, he was baiting you. This, Yep. He was baiting you into that. So Saturday morning, 9 o'clock, I showed up at the Junction City Municipal Building where they were giving the test. There was about 180 people showed up to take this test. And the way it worked is you had to pass the written test. When you got done with the written test, then you had to do the physical agility portion and pass it. Well, I show up and the lieutenant conducting the testing, the first words out of his mouth, he says, you do understand we're hiring police officers, not pirates, right? (laughs) (laughs) So my response to him was, well, yeah, I understand, but everybody likes a little, nobody likes a smart lieutenant. (laughs) He just looks at me, oh, you're one of those. Who got you here anyhow? And I told him, yeah, Reed didn't. Because Reed was at the desk, he was my friend. I go, he did so I sat there and took the test, passed it, did, did the physical agility, no problem at all, even though I only had one eye, because the other was still patched. And the rest is history. I ended up getting hired, did my thing. And you obviously drinks. you obviously really enjoyed it, because you, you hung in there for a long time. To me, it was never a job, Josh. It was, I enjoyed it. I had fun doing it. Yeah, I dealt with dickheads and guys who were assholes and everything else but then there would be the nice people i'd deal with the nice people too sit there with me with me i'd sit there and i used to have fun just screwing with people there was a neighborhood park in junction city it was an actual open drug market i sat there and a couple of the neighbors flagged me down and complained about it and said 
I got you. I got you. We'll take care of that. So I made it my mission to shut down this open air market by myself. So if I wasn't on a call, I was parked right in the middle of that park, sitting on the hood of the car, and I'd look at these guys and say, dudes, you ain't going to sling shit today. You might as well walk on down the street because I see anything come remotely close to a drug deal. I'm arresting everybody involved, and I don't care. So you might as well take your happy butts on down the road because I ain't playing this game with you guys. This is my park. These kids are my kids. This is my neighborhood. Take it away. Get it out of here. Took me about two weeks. And they, the hours I worked, they didn't make a dime. They finally got pissed and left. I got yelled at by our drug operations group because they had been watching this park for a month. I said, you should have told me I wouldn't have done it. But the people were complaining. Nothing was happening. I took care of it. Here we go. Out of all of the uh, uh, stuff that you were involved in, what did you see most of? Was it was it drug related, domestic disputes? What was the primary? You know, where you're just like, oh, here we go again. Well, here's the way it all works. We had a lot of domestic disputes at that time, and when I first started, officers really didn't have a whole lot of stuff they could help the people with because the courts were requiring the victim to sign a complaint. Well, now they don't have to do that. Now I can sit there. If I see that there was a disturbance, I have evidence of a disturbance. I have evidence of a disturbance and everything else. And there's evidence that someone was a victim by the victim of a crime. I can arrest them. I don't need the victim to sign a statement. That's where one of the changes came because we're having such a problem with domestic violence. Well, in Junction, we had that. But then we also had, when I started, a heck of a drug problem. I mean, but back in 77, 78, and even 79, Junction City had one of the highest per capita crime rates in the nation. Wow. In fact, in 78 and 79, we had the highest per capita crime rate in the nation. Not just, and that what's based on is for every thousand population in your crime rate. We had the highest in the nation. So... We got a new chief of police in, and E flat said, we're not ignoring the small stuff anymore. We're going to take enforcement action on all violations of the law, especially in known neighborhoods of high crime, and we're going to sit there and address that. We started with that. Then you, you ever heard about the broken window program or no. policy? Basically what that is, is if you see a broken window in the house or a building or a residence or a business, you identify who owns that building and we send them a letter and say, get it fixed. If you see graffiti and vandalism, you send them a letter, get it fixed, take care of it. If they don't, the city will fix it and then build them. Okay, to try and make everything, to, to clean try everything to make, up. To clean everything up. Those two efforts brought our crime rate down considerably. Just those two simple efforts. Now, a lot of people said it don't work. Well, yeah, it, I'm sorry. I can test. Yes, it works. But New York basically did it under Giuliani. That's basically the same thing he did. He told his officers, do this. He got after his codes of people and said, address it, fix it. And look what happened under Mayor Giuliani. 
Were you ever uh, Were you ever in a high speed chase? Oh yeah. Okay, <laughs> tell me what was your funnest high speed chase story? <laughs> well, well <clears throat> I I got three that come to mind. The first one, the first two, I initiated, and they ended up with the, the guy fleeing in a car, having an accident. Okay, <laughs> basically, both of the cars that the two I initiated, they were stolen vehicles. I go to initiate the stop. They take off. I call out the pursuit. We're heading down. The first one, the guy who was styling the car, tried to go down at mile post two, or exit 296, went under the viaduct and tried to go east on the interstate. Well, he took the corner too wide. I was able to come inside of him, and he met a power pole. Boom. Wow. And... Didn't have his seatbelt on, so then his head met the windshield and knocked himself out. That was easy enough to do. That was the first one, my first chase ever in my career. The next stolen car, the next stolen car, one, guy almost hit me at an intersection, so I went to stop him for it, find out what the issue is. He takes off, then I find out I'm chasing a stolen car. Well, again, he goes and everything else, and ends up taking a wide corner, losing it. This time it wasn't due to anything I did. He just lost it and nailed it and ended up crashing out again. The other one was we had shots fired calling the 900 block of North Washington Street. And I was the third car in the pursuit, chasing the subjects in this car. I come going along and right a hundred feet away from my patrol captain's house. The first car goes through the dip, bottoms out. Second car goes through the dip. By then he's awake, he comes out, and as I come through the dip, he sees me bottom my car out and sparks flying everywhere. Oh my gosh. And these guys, we ended up chasing these cars all the way out to the, if you ever go west out of town on K-18, it comes to a T intersection. Well, guys didn't know that. They thought it kept going and whoop, 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 and into the field, ended up catching them that way. But yeah, and then the butt chewing afterwards about botting him off the car was uh, really interesting. But those were the ones, the three that comes around. I got one other one where I was again chasing another stolen vehicle and caused the guy to crash up on Custer, Custer Avenue in Pleasanton up on Fort Riley right in front of the MP station. <laughs> I ended up arresting him, and then the MP showed up wanting to know, well, who's the driver? where's the driver of this car? He's in a patrol car going back down to Erie County Sheriff's Department. Why? Because I arrested him for stealing the car. Oh, this is a stolen car? Yeah, but guess what? You guys get credit for recovering the stolen car. Huh. But I got the guy down there. Here's his driver's license. Here's his insurance on this car and all this stuff. Get the information you need. I need the driver's license back so I can go back and book this guy in the jail. The MP's room. On that one, I got threatened to be charged with kidnapping. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and you, let's see. That was the Crown Vic generation. What what vehicle, what what cruiser yeah. were you in? Well, in one of them, I was in a, in a Pontiac Phoenix. Okay. Another one was a... Pontiac Parisian, and then the other one was a Ford. Crown a Ford, Crown Victoria. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
Those Crown Vicks were quick, I heard. Well, they were they were fun to drive, but they were a little squirrely on wet roads. And <laughs> really? Because they were rear-wheel drive and snow. They were, yeah. One of those times I sat there and ended up, I was driving up on 18th Street, went to, there was another officer involved in pursuit, and I was just going to head him off. So I start going down 18th Street, and I hit the gas. And my car was spinning faster than my red lights were. And I couldn't get it to stop. <laughs> and the next traffic I hear over the radio is my lieutenant saying, who's driving that damn patrol car in circles? <laughs> uh, my response to that was nothing. <laughs> uh, was there ever a time that you feared for your life? Hmm. Be honest with you, no. No? No. I mean, there was times I should have been afraid, but either I was too stupid <laughs> or didn't really know what fear was because, no, I, I didn't. I can honestly say that. Now, there's only one incident in my 40-year career that gives me nightmare, nightmares, and it's because I've replayed it in my head, in my head, and can't figure out what I did wrong or where I did wrong. And it involved a guy shooting shooting up the street in the 500 block of North Washington Street with a shotgun from out of a second-story apartment. Well, I disarm him of the shotgun, and I'm talking to him, finding out his story, and his story was really a bad one. I mean, it would have upset a lot of people and everything. He basically had found out he was a staff sergeant in the Army. He found out that his, while he was deployed, his wife had cheated on everybody in his unit below the rank of staff sergeant. Holy cow. He found out about it and everything else, and he was all distraught and everything, and he was trying to basically want to commit suicide by cop. Well, he ended up having me, and it didn't happen. I disarmed him with a shotgun with no, with in, without incident. I was talking to him, and he comes up with a... I'm talking to him. He comes up with a machete. And I'm going, thinking to myself, what the heck he come up with this thing? I mean, an army issue machete. It's like 18, 20 inches long. Holy crap. And I'm going, okay. So I draw my weapon, giving him orders, put it down. And he's telling me, just shoot me, just shoot me, just shoot me. And I realize, and I flat say to him, I'm not going to shoot you. I'm not good at taking orders. And I holster my weapon. Well, there was another officer on the other side of the room that had his weapon still drawn. Because that's against your training. Yeah, that's totally right? against the you training. Were, you were completely within your rights to take him out. Yes, right? definitely. But I didn't because I knew what he wanted. He wanted me to do that. And I'm going, no, I'm not going to help a guy commit suicide by cop. No, I'm not going to do it. If he advances after I holster and he comes at me, well, then I'll you draw. You don't have a choice, and I'll right. draw. Well, what happened then was, then he had diverted his attention to the other officer that still had his gun out and started slowly advancing, but not in a menacing manner. He's just saying, shoot me, shoot me, shoot me. And so as he got up next to me, there happened to be a big janitorial broom right nearby. I grabbed it. I hit it down across his arm that had the machete, and the fight was on. Ended up flipping him over backwards with a freestyle wrestling move, and the first thing that hit the floor was the back of his head. It knocked him out, handcuffed him, took him into custody and everything else, and then I talked to him a couple of days later, 
And every day I said, what did you want to? He said, I wanted you to kill me. I said, no, it's not going to happen. And see, it's stuff like that. That's what kept me in the law enforcement. And he was helping those people at it because he was, later on I found out from his brother who was in the Marine Corps. He came up to get him out, help get him out of jail and bond him out of jail and wanted to talk to the officer that arrested him. So I show up. He goes, you arrested my brother? I go, yes, I arrested your brother. He goes, do you know who my brother is? I said, I don't know your brother from Adam. First time I met him was that day. He goes, my brother teaches self-defense tactics and instructions to the Secret Service, the CIA, to undercover operatives and everything else. If I would have known that was him in the room, I wouldn't have went in there. I said, well, glad I guess I was glad I didn't know because that's not my job, man. And so, but that... That's the only one that causes me to have nightmares. Now, there's another incident in my law enforcement career that I wasn't directly involved in, but it really affects me. And, in fact, it's the, it's the incident that led my son into law enforcement, not so much following me, but because of this officer, and that was Alex Johnson, Wilson C.A. Johnson. He was killed in the line of duty, and it was a as a result of a domestic disturbance. And it struck me really bad because we were like brothers. We were brothers from a different mother. He was a big, big, huge black man. Six foot three, six foot four, 300 plus pounds, a gentle giant and everything else. And then there's me, but we were like brothers. We did a lot of stuff together off-duty. We socialized all the time and everything else. And then when I got promoted to captain, he had just come out of investigations back to patrol, and he was out there two years shy of his retirement when the incident happens and uh, ends up going to a domestic disturbance. The guy who, it was a guy and his girlfriend got into a fight in a local bar, beat her up, he left. They called the police. He came to investigate it. Well, he took him down to the police department to interview, get a statement from her and everything else. It was almost four hours after the disturbance actually happened when Alex went to go pick her two children up from a previous marriage. He goes to where the they think the kids are finds out from the girl that was babysitting them, said, no, he came over here four hours ago and got the kids. They're back at the house, I think. So then Alex went back to the house, and he was just there to to get the children, turn them over to their mother, and that was it. There was nothing else going on at that time other than that was the plan. Well, he ends up going up there, knocks on the door, all of a sudden... He gets shot dead in the doorway. Someone calls in the, sh- the shots fired call. We respond up there. We hear another shot. In fact, he shoots at a, the first officer arrives on scene and when he enters the apartment building, the guy shoots at him. The officer takes cover. Here's another shot. Well, so we set up a barricaded subject type scenario thing and we sit there and um, 
finally make entry in the apartment building and go up to the apartment, we find Officer Johnson deceased in the doorway in the hallway of the apartment thing, and the subject deceased by a self-inflicted gunshot wound. And the two kids we went to pick up sound asleep on the couch, never woke up throughout the entire incident. But we were able to reunite him with their mother. Wow. So that those two incidents are the ones that make me think about <laughs> some of the stuff I did in law enforcement. You guys, uh, you also were in charge of responding like traffic accidents and stuff like that. How yeah, do you yeah. how do you desensitize yourself to some of the stuff you see on that front? Well, number one, I was pretty lucky. I only had to respond in my career to, I think, three different fatality accidents. Um, the only one that really affected me real bad was a guy that ended up crashing on his motorcycle, didn't have a helmet on, and basically just smashed his brain all over the all over the street because found out later that he was going about 70 miles an hour when he lost control of his motorcycle and flipped end over end, over end. end and face planted oh, man. and then hit the top of his head right into a concrete curbing just and he flipped over and landed in an open area in the street that they were doing some repair work that was about the size of a grave he landed wow. in there and wow. that was the one that really affected me the other ones it's just something you have to sit there and look at them. You realize they're human beings. They were human beings, but now they're not. Sometimes, you know, in most of these cases, the fatality accidents, most of the time it's not those people's fault that causes it, but this guy with the motorcycle, well, it's nobody's fault but his own. He's sitting there hired and found out later he's hiring a kite when uh, he did a blood draw and everything else. So... That was his own doings. Now, I did have an assistant in a fatality accident where an elderly couple from Chapman got T-boned by a cement mixer. That was a messy one. And can't even give a detail on that because I was lucky he was able to turn it over to KHP to handle the investigation. So you were you just mentioned your son is, is active duty. Um you obviously communicate with him regularly. Do you worry about him in this new generation? I don't worry about him per se. What I worry about is the civil ramifications that could result. I know he's able to take care of himself and I know he's going to do the job the right way. I have all the utmost confidence in him. He works for the Jackson County Sheriff's Department in Missouri. And he's a sergeant there. He's a tactical team leader and everything else. And he's self-defense instructor. I know he can deal with that and handle everything. He's good at investigations and all that. The feelings of the public, basically, <laughs> we can't change their feelings. No matter right. what we do. They're, they're, it, again, it's something they're taught. Really, it's not, it's like I had one guy who didn't like police because he had one bad encounter with one bad officer. 
And so I looked at him. So what you're telling me is because you had one bad encounter. And I said, is that the only encounter you had with him, with any officers? Oh, no, I've had several other encounters with police officers. So what you're telling me, that one bad encounter makes all those good encounters you had with officers null and void? You had yourself, you're telling me you had multiple, several, 30, 40 different encounters with officers. You had one bad one. So the other 39 don't count? I said, so what I should assume then, because in your line, in your profession, you sat there, you ripped me off one time selling me tools, so I'm supposed to believe all people who sell tools out of trucks are crooked? Well, that's not, yeah, it is, it's the same thing. There are bad people in all professions. You got bad doctors, you got bad attorneys, you got bad auto mechanics. You have bad everything. You have crooked sales clerks. You got all this stuff. So you're going to sit there and dislike all sales clerks because you get ripped off by one or shortchanged by one. You're going to sit there and hate, you know, the meter maid because you don't put your meter in the, you're in the parking meter so she gives you a 50-cent ticket or whatever it may be. Right, right. Whose fault is that? It's not her fault. She's doing her job. If you, could, mean, if you could go back then, like let's say uh, you you drank a, a secret serum and it uh, brought you back to 21, with today the way things are going, would you still be a cop? Believe it or not, I've thought about that. And I'm, ta- I'm torn. Sometimes I think, yes, I would. But then... Other times I think, well, I definitely wouldn't in certain locations. I mean, I wouldn't be a cop on the West Coast for nothing. Right, right. I wouldn't be a cop in New York City for nothing. And it's, that's a combination of the attitude of the public and the attitude of that city's management and that department's management. And that's what address, that's how I look at it. I had the opportunity early in my career to go up to the Topeka Police Department. Okay. So before I decided whether or not I would, I was offered a job before I decided whether or not I would or wouldn't go. I went up to Topeka. I spent the two days up in Topeka. I talked to business people. I went to res yard sales in Topeka just to talk to them about what how they felt about their police department and everything else. I talked to officers on the department about the leadership of the department and the responses I got from those people, nope, ain't, ain't changing. It would have been a heck of a pay raise for me, better chance of opportunity for promotion quicker and everything else. But I said, nope, not going to happen. The people don't even like your police department. The working people in this department don't trust the leadership of this department. I'm not going to put myself in that situation. So, no, I wouldn't do it. And it'd be the same thing now if I was able to go back to 21, depending on where I was looking to work, checking into the attitude of the things, of the community towards law enforcement, the state towards law enforcement, the leadership of the department, the people in the department, do they trust the leadership of the department and their community? 
Because if I can't trust them to support me in what I do, I'm not going to work for them. Right. But that's the things I would weigh and bring into being if that could ever happen. How? What's your opinion on concealed weapons permits or, or concealed carry in general? Prefer, my personal thing? Yeah. I like the open carry rule. I want to see the threat. I'd rather, as a police officer, see the threat, identify the threat easier than be wondering, is this guy carrying a gun concealed on his person? And that's me personally. I mean, I don't think it's bad one way or the other. I just prefer, I like the open carry rule better. I'd, and that's the only reason why is because I prefer to see the threat and have make it easier to identify it. Now, I'm not trying to throw you under the bus because mm-hmm. I don't want you to shoot me. <laughs> <coughs> but I've noticed that a lot a lot of times when you're, because um, you're not technically like officially retired, like you still do something. What are you doing right now? Right now I'm working for the Geary County Sheriff's Department serving civil process papers. Okay. And you are required to carry a weapon for that, right? Well, they prefer I do, so I do, <laughs> yes. But I've noticed when you're um, out uh, as a civilian, you don't seem to carry that much. What's what's up with that? My entire career, I've very seldom carried off-duty. Really? Seldom, really, yep. And why, why is that? Like, that's when you, I mean... Well, you're most vulnerable then, yeah, I, that's true. But I never felt the need to do that. I mean, I arrested some bad hombres in my career. I mean, some original gangsters. I mean, these are old school gangsters that I arrested and stuff. And there were some bad hombres that I arrested. But because, and this goes back to what I said earlier, because I treated them the way I wanted to be treated, they respected me for that. I didn't try to humiliate them. I didn't try to sit there and belittle them. I didn't try to sit there and make, look down on them or anything and treat them like they were something less than a human being or anything else. No, I treated them with respect. I didn't sit there and do anything that would give them the idea that what I was doing was personal. And a lot of times, there are going to be people that don't like police officers just because you're a police officer. Well, sure, of course. Okay? But why give them a reason to dislike you more just by, by treating them like trash? There's no reason. I got a job to do. Back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, the police and the criminals or the law enforcement criminals, they had rules. They had, they knew, the cops knew our job was to catch the guys doing the bad things and put them, take them to jail. The bad guys knew that the cops, that's what the cops' role was and what they were doing, and they knew what the penalties could be and everything else and they recognized that they didn't take it personal people nowadays seem to take every action that someone does against them personal even though it may not be personal I mean so I come up and I serve you a paper I come up and I serve you a paper because you failed to pay your credit card bill is that my fault or is that your fault Right. But yet they blame me or want to blame me for that. And I just look at sir, all I'm doing is serving a paper that the court issued, told me to serve. 
you have to deal address that with the court and your credit card company. You sign the contract, you and pay your bill. You haven't done so, they filed a suit, which is their legal right to do so. I'm just delivering a piece of paper to you telling you got a suit filed against you and you're going to appear in court this day. Don't blame me. Don't take it personal because I don't know you from Adam. I think the the problem that I had in in learning how this whole process works was is everyone's treated, everyone's discriminated against equally. Rather, you go in and you've killed somebody or rather you've ran a stop sign and you're and you're being brought in off of a traffic warrant. I don't understand why the intake process has to be so demeaning. And I know that you don't have any control mm-hmm. over that, but I wanted to at least talk to you and get your opinion on that because it's humiliating to to go in like like my instance, you know, I knew I was going to bail out. There's no way in hell I was going to stay there on a suspended uh, driver's license. I didn't want to stay there any longer than I had to. And so they knew I was going to I was going to um, pay and, and go out. But still, even to that end, they bring you in, uh, strip you down naked. You know, you got to bend over and and pull your ass cheeks open. And, and I mean, it's just like, holy hell, like I'm not freaking uh, uh, from the narcos. You know what I mean? Like you guys just brought me in for having a suspended driver's license. Why on earth do you have to go through that process? Basically, they, they try to make everything uniform to make it easier for the system to work. I agree it's humiliating, but here's the thing, one of the things that I learned way back in the law enforcement academy, criminals do stupid things. Cars break down, so if you're going up to help someone fix a car or see if you can help them with a mechanical problem, who's to say that person didn't commit a crime that you just don't know about? Sure. And... Here's the other thing. When you bring someone into jail, most officers will ask them ahead of time, do you have anything you do not want to take into right, this jail? Right, Because if you bring contraband into a jail, you've just enhanced your crime. Sure. Now, we ask you that because we don't want to sit there and... We don't want to sit there and make it worse on you. We're trying to make it as easy on you as possible, but they have to have a procedure in place for them to make it easier to get people through and out and bond out. But they also have to ensure for the safety and integrity of the facility. So that's why everybody has to get strip searched, even if you're going to bond out. And it's the only thing, it's, it's what they're doing. They're maintaining the integrity of the facility and the safety of the people that are in there. Not just the people that work there, but the other inmates in there. And they also want to make sure we have a problem with drugs in jails, period. Easy enough said. Okay. I've known people have gotten arrested on traffic offenses just so they can contraband, bring contraband into the jail. Right, right, right. And everything else for whatever reason. So. You have to have some sort of procedure and protocol in place to make it to try to eliminate that or reduce the risk of that happening and make it uniform so the people working in the facility 
know what they have to do. But couldn't, but isn't there a less evasive way of doing that? Like, for instance, when you get on an airplane, you get scanned and they can basically see everything anyway, but you don't have to take all of your clothes off. Like, well, in the situation on an airplane, they're basically looking for weapons or things like that. They're not looking for contraband such as drugs or things like that. That have been like put up your right. bum holio. Exactly. Something like that. Right. Now, in a penal situation, here's the situation. I arrest you, and it's just for something simple. Suspended driver's license, a warrant, what traffic warrant, whatever. I don't do that, and you have tried to secrete something on your body because you were panicked, and say you swallowed your dope. Right. Now, all of a sudden, I'm dealing with a drug overdose because I didn't sit there and bother checking or whatever. So this is other things to try to prevent stuff like from that happening because you get these mules that transport drugs through in balloons and stuff and the balloon pops and all of a sudden you're dealing with a drug overdose and everything. Well, the only way we can check somebody, we can't do x-ray, too evasive, you know, that sort of stuff. So you got to do what you can to prevent introduction of stuff that shouldn't be in a facility. How hard is it to to become a police officer? Like, what's the what's the the process in which they're going through to ensure that guys with power trips or hero uh, um, delusions of grandeur? There you go. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. how how what what prevents guys like that from getting in? Well, basically, what you're doing here is there's, there's several phases to the application process. Everybody's going to require at least a high school diploma. Some departments require some college. Some departments require a bachelor's degree. It's just that that's a preliminary set for when it comes to education. But you're going to take a written test. Then you're going to take a psychological test, the computerized, the written test, psychology. Then you're actually going to be meet with a psychologist or a psychiatrist after you take the test. And they're going to do a mental evaluation on you in that time. You're also going to have to do a physical agility, see if you are physically able to do the job. And then they're going to do a background check. In that background check, they're going to look at your any criminal history you may have. Um, they're going to verify your information, reference to your employment history, things like that. They're going to check with those previous employers. They're going to sit there and check. They didn't have to do much checking on me because when I applied, I had a top secret security clearance with the United States Army. Right. So that they had, all that stuff had been done, so it was easy to find out through the military. But when they do their background investigation, which is a good, that's all part of the background investigation, they're looking for things, character flaws. The psychological evaluation is looking for mental or emotional flaws and things. And... Then you got a finally, you'll have an interview. Most departments will have an interview of senior officers where you are interviewed and asked situational questions just to see how you think, how you react, and things like that. Um, and then they'll review a lot, review the packet, and then they'll sit there and decide yay or nay, do we think he's a good candidate? Well, every department has a probationary period, okay? Like, Junction Cities is a year's probation. During that probationary time, if something shows up that 
wasn't noticed in the background investigation or in the testing process that could be a problem, they have the authority to terminate you for that reason. You don't have to do anything wrong. But if it's a tendency and it's something, they can terminate you in that probationary period. That's the purpose of that, to help weed out those people that could be badge heavy or power trips or things like that. Now, not saying it's a perfect system, but I don't know of any other way you could actually make it any better. But the good thing about it is if departments identify those individuals, they work fairly hard and quick to get to get those people out in law enforcement. But there's only like, and, and look, I'm totally mm-hmm. ignorantly speaking because I've mm-hmm. never, you know, been in, in that type of scenario. But like, you guys don't get paid very much, which I think is bullshit. Like, especially for what you're expected to do. I wish it was reverse. You know, we sit here and pay these basketball players millions of dollars to put a ball through a hoop, and the first responders and firefighters and police officers, I mean, you guys are almost like teachers. It's the same thing. It's like, why don't we invest in our communities more? But it leaves the question, okay, so unless they've got your mentality where it's, you know what, yeah, I actually want to go and serve my community and try and make it better, why why in the hell other than that else would you want to go and take on that responsibility of being a police officer? I, I don't know. I, like I said, I did initially never thought of me being a police officer. I didn't realize until well into my law enforcement career that way back in fifth grade, I should have known I was going to go into law enforcement. An incident occurred. I'm not a big guy. I'm five foot six, 140 pounds. (coughs) Excuse me. So you can imagine how small I was in fifth grade. But you're like a ninja though. (laughs) I've seen you flip around. You're very agile. (laughs) But back in fifth grade, I had incident... And I didn't even think about it for a long time. Then all of a sudden, one day at work, I'm sitting there going, you know, I should have known I was going to be a cop when I did this. In fifth grade, I sat there. There was a kid. He had classes. He was overweight and everything. He was very timid. And there was a group of other boys bullying him, pushing him around, picking on him, calling him names and everything else. And here I am all maybe four foot tall and about 50 pounds. And I walk over there, knock it off, leave them alone. What are you going to do? I said, well, keep doing it. You'll find out. So they, the biggest guy in the group helped me because he sat there and he went towards the kid again. Well, when I knocked that big guy down on the ground, the other four decided, uh, 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 I said, I told you, leave him alone or you won't like what's going to happen to you. Well, just then, teacher came running out of the building. Bus driver came running off the bus. The bus driver says to the teacher, hold on, take them. He didn't do anything wrong and pointed right at me. He was helping that young man. And never even thought about it until one day I just helped some guy basically was being bullied by his neighbor. 
And I guess that's what sort of brought the memory back. But I should have known back then. Yeah, but I went in the Army, did my little stint there, and tried some other stuff. Nothing great. Why did you initially get into the service? So I could afford to go to college. The GI Bill, that's what it was. And thank you for your service, by the way. Mm -hmm. But both, both Mm -hmm. as a police officer and, and in the military, uh, but it's it's funny, it's interesting how a lot of people have that same thing. They're like, I needed to get an education, and the only way I could do it is by having the military compensate me for that. And it's it's been interesting talking to a lot of the soldiers in the community because more often than not, they they kind of have a bad taste in their mouth after they go through their after they go through their stint, you know. But I don't think I don't. I mean. Rather, it's look, government has a history of just not treating their people very well. They they don't like rather it's the uh, mail service, you know, and then you the military and, and the police service like you guys are are the ones that are always getting kicked. It seems like and I mean, if I was a police officer, that would make me kind of mad, especially if I had your mentality where like, look, I'm just out trying to make my community a better place to live a safer place to live and i gotta put up with all of this shit i'm underpaid and now my own uh leadership all the way up to the president of the united states is saying that we're worthless pieces of shit and they want to demonetize us and stop funding us which anyone that has a brain has to realize that would be the stupidest damn thing in the world talk about mass hysteria well i mean we've seen in the places where they've the the police have back los angeles i i, I can't the, the problem that they have there right now and and uh there were streets there were there were whole cities in seattle that were taken over by militia and the cops just were like yeah we're not going to get involved we're going to we're going to let this happen i mean i'm surprised as uh, the law enforcement community, I'm surprised we haven't seen a strike almost where the law enforcement's like, hey, you assholes want to take care of yourself and manage your own safety. Good luck, you know, because mm-hmm. it, it is that that's got to be disheartening. That's why I'm like, like now in today's world, it just seems like a thankless, a thankless job. And I totally agree with you. I think. I think there are far more better police officers and better people that um, that serve than there are uh, officers that are belligerent and just want to bully people. And, um, and that's the thing. Actually, if you look at it, a lot of this, when it comes to this attitude towards people, that's what's being portrayed by the press. Right. That's what's being portrayed by some of the different leaders. But if you talk to a lot of the people on the street, they don't feel that way about their law enforcement. They don't feel that way about police. They want the police in their neighborhood. They want, they want us there. They need us there, and they know that. And they don't want to defund. They don't want to cut numbers or anything else. The majority of people up in Seattle didn't want the officers to be told not to engage these people. But 
here's the thing that the officers are looking at. When you got your mayor, your city council, your chief, your board, your whatever, in charge of you that can fire you, and they say, no, you're not doing this. If you do, you're going to be fired. Well, it's like in the military. Insubordination, violation of a direct order by superiors is termination. You can get kicked out of the military for it. You can get fired in law enforcement for it. I mean, I may not agree with what they're saying, but I got to listen. I got to obey it. Right. Or be willing to take the consequences. I mean, I've lived my law enforcement career on a simple little thing. (laughs) Whatever my paycheck can afford. You know, I mean, I've lived my entire adult life on three little principles, or two actually. Number one, if you don't wake up in bed next to me, your opinion doesn't matter to me. Nice. Number two, if you don't (laughs) sign my paycheck and can't fire me, I give the rats what you think about how I did my job. (laughs) And it's easy. And I've done my career 40 years almost that way. And when I was in the Army, there's a way to argue things without getting demoted or anything else. I did three years in the military, got out as an E-5. I was a sergeant. But I argued with my platoon leader. I argued with my first sergeant. I argued with my company commander. I argued with my platoon sergeants. But there's a way to do it and do it respectfully and voice your opinion, especially if something doesn't make sense to you and you flat go up and tell them, sir, not that I'm disobeying your order, I need clarification here. Uh, Why are we doing this and why are we doing it this way? If I can do it better, easier, and quicker, can I do that? You know, same way in law enforcement. You've heard the phrase, more than one way to skin a cat. Right. Well, there's more than one way to enforce the law. And like I pointed out earlier, there are certain ways you, there are certain times you have to do it because the law says you have to do that. That's the way it's written. But if it's not written that way and you don't think it's necessary to do it that way, then why do it that way? You don't have to. There's more than one way to skin a cat. There's one more, more than one way to enforce the law. So if there was someone that was listening to this and they were thinking about getting into law enforcement, what would you, what, what words of advice would you give to them? First thing, as they look inside yourself, see what... What is the reason you want to do this? If you want to do it because it's going to give you glory, forget it. You'll never last. If you want to do it because you feel a real desire to help somebody else and make your community better, go ahead and pursue it. But before you do that, do some diligence and do some research. Find out what the attitude of the community you're thinking about policing in what it is towards their police officers. Don't go by the press. Go out and talk to people. Ask them questions. Socialize with them. Find out. Learn them a little bit. Learn a little bit about them. Learn a little bit about what they think or expect from their police force. And then lastly, talk to the other officers that you'll be working with. Find out their attitude what they think, what they feel, how they look at police work. And then also about what they think about the support or lack of support of the leadership within the department and within the 
community leaders. And if you're getting negative feedback and negative feedback and negative feedback, go to another town. Check another town. Police officers are necessary everywhere. They're wanted everywhere. Some officers are cut out for big cities. Some aren't. Some are cut out for small communities. I did my entire career in a small community. But I'm pleased with my career, with my impact on my community. I've been retired from the Junction City Police Department since 2005. People on the street still recognize me as a police officer. I've been away from Fort Riley now for almost two years now. And there are still MPs that recognize me and call me lieutenant. Well, you seem like you'd be one of those guys that were respected. You know what I mean? Like, um, that's at least that's, I mean, I haven't known you for that long, but, um, I have a lot of respect for you. I, I think it really is your character almost is perfect for, for that, you know, not everyone's cut out to be in a leadership position and all of these officers that are out there in any given situation, people want to be able to look up to those people to make good decisions, right decisions and decisions that are in their best interest. And it kind of freaked me out because, and I know that every state and every community is different, but, but in Utah, um, where I was in security, a lot of those security guys were wannabe cops, man. They just wanted to be cops so bad. And a lot of them do go from security to the police department. And I would always look at some of those guys and be like, oh, God, help us if you ever get a badge and a gun. Because there are a lot of egos out there. And it was just and it was just so funny because here we are, rent-a-cops, you know. Mm -hmm. And, uh, oh, man, these guys would just, they would, they would just take it so seriously. Uh, I broke my, you know, I do this all the time, man. I break my own rules. <laughs> I swear. But, uh. Well, with your rent -a cop thing. Yeah. Here's the thing. If you want an ego buster, yeah, go into law enforcement. Somebody will bust your chops real quick and real fast if you think you know it all. You know, I'm, I'm sort of a nice guy. I was training a young female MP up on Fort Riley my second year up there. Well, her father was a sheriff. Her brother was a deputy sheriff. Her other brother was a city police officer. She had an uncle who was a city police officer somewhere, and she knew everything about law enforcement. And I looked at this young lady. Okay. Your uncle's a sheriff. What do you know about what he does? Uh, uh, okay. Your brother's a cop. What do you know about him? What do you know about his job? What have you done in relationship to what he's done? I, I was trying to train her. One of the basic things, one of the first things an officer needs to know is where the heck are you at? In a stressful situation, you have to be able to tell somebody where you're at when this happens, right? She couldn't even tell me where we were at on post, the location we were at. Wow. 
And I'm going, so right now we're getting shot at. I'm trying to get us out of the field of fire, driving a car and returning fire at one hand. How do you expect me to talk on the radio and tell them where we're at? That's your job. But yet you can't do it because you don't know where we're at. And I said, I've seen you shoot. I've seen your qualification score. I wouldn't trust you to shoot someone 10 feet away. Oh, snap. <laughs> I go, so I'm not going to have you. I'm going to be trying to save us and keep us alive. What are you going to be doing? Hiding under the dashboard? Because that's exactly where you're going to be at. Because you're going to be useless to me. Because you can't even tell the dispatch where we're at. Where we're taking fire at. So what good are you to me? And she kept doing that. And then I said, you need to start paying attention to what I'm telling you. Because what I'm telling you is going to keep you alive. I said, we may live in the gated community called Fort Riley. What we're doing at the gate is preventing people that have criminal records from coming on post. But gee, how many female soldiers are married to someone who has a criminal record? And we can't stop that spouse from coming on post. They live here. We can't stop them from coming on post. And you think you don't have criminals in the military? Are you kidding me? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, said, There's a reason why you're not allowed to carry a, a sidearm on, on post. <laughs> you know, and I'm going, so she sat there, and finally, after she kept doing that to me, I finally got tired of it. I pulled over to the side of the road, and I kicked her out of my car. Get out. I said, get out of my car. She goes, what? I said, you can either get out of my car on your own or I will snatch you out by the nab of your neck and leave you out here. She gets out, I drive away. <laughs> I go back to the police department and I tell my lieutenant, uh, she's not getting back in my car. But I said, I am not having that female ride with me again. She is not riding with me again. I don't care if you order me, you can write me up. She's not riding with me again. And I explained to her what happened, explained to my lieutenant what happened. He goes, okay, got it, where she's at. I said, I left her up here. How's she supposed to get back from there? That's her, that's her. She that's needs her. to figure it out because <laughs> I ain't worried about it. So, okay. <laughs> but, yeah. And the thing is, that's what I mean. It's easy enough to break someone's ego. Right. And if you get a guy who wants to be a police officer, if he's if they want to be a police officer for the right way, the first thing they're going to want to be willing, they're going to be willing to learn. And to learn it the way your department wants it done. I mean, I had a young officer I was trying to train, and the misfortune that he had was he had trained as a reserve officer with another police department. And he kept saying, well, that's not the way we did it. And I said, okay, you're right. It's not the way they do it. But you're not working for that department. You're working for this department, and this is how we do it, and this is how you will do it, or you won't be doing it anywhere. <laughs> you, know. so you just got to make it. Sometimes you just got to dummy it up. <laughs> you got to break the horse. Yep, exactly. What was the, what was the thing you hated about the job the most? What I hated the most was the unwillingness of people to get involved in their community to help others. If it didn't directly affect them, they don't want to get involved. 
They could be standing 20 feet away from this person getting their butt whipped. I don't expect them to jump in there and try to break it up. But when I come up to interview them as a witness, I didn't see nothing. I don't know how many times I went into a bar fight and I had 27 people in a one-holer bathroom. I, I don't understand this. I, I, how do you do that? You know, it's a six-by-four room, and you got 27 people in there. I was in the bathroom. Really? That used to be so frustrating. I'm going, oh, yeah, yeah. But on the other hand, you get the time. I, I helped a biker. He got stabbed in the back by a guy he beat in a pool game. Right? <laughs> So they called us. I respond. I talked to the guy before they take him off to the hospital to, to get looked at. And he says, and he tells me what happened. I said, okay, can you describe the guy? And he says, yeah, I was a fucking Mexican. <laughs> okay. How tall was this Mexican? <laughs> he goes, about your height. Bigger or smaller than me in weight? Smaller. Okay. Did he have any facial hair or anything like that? Oh, he had a little scruff. Okay. What was he wearing? A white t-shirt and jeans. Okay, pretty common. Okay. Yeah. Any visible tattoos or anything like that? Yeah, he had something on his neck. Okay, that's a little better. Did you hear a name or anything? No. And I said, why did he stab you in the back? I have no freaking idea. I went to put my pool cue back up in a rack, and all of a sudden, whack. <laughs> Man. Were you guys gambling on this game? Well, yeah, but technically it's not gambling because we're betting each other. We weren't betting on anybody else. Yeah, you're right. I'm not here for that anyhow. I'm here to find out who stuck you like a pig. And he goes, well, I don't know. You better find him before me or my club brothers do because when we get done with him, you may not want him. (laughs) And I said, well, give me 48 hours. He goes, okay, I'll give you 48 hours. So I went out. Ran down a couple of leads. Found a guy in six. I arrest him. Put him in jail. Go up to the hospital. The guy had gotten some surgery done to repair the injury and stuff. And he's in the hospital bed. So I go up there. I say, okay. I did a photo array with the guy's picture so he could identify him from a photo array. He goes, it's that little spick. <laughs> he points at the guy. I go, Okay, I said, all of them are Mexican, you know. He goes, no, it's that little spit right there in the middle. <laughs> I go, okay, so it's, what's the number? Say the number. Number two. Okay. Now, and I had him do what he had to do and everything else. And he says, is that him? I said, yeah, he's already in jail. You're kidding me. No, I told you I'd get him. And the guy, he goes, well, well, I'm glad you got him before my brothers because you probably wouldn't have had anything left when my brothers got a hold of <laughs> And I go, well, that was a little concern of mine. <laughs> but by the way, uh, you owe me like uh, 34 hours of time the next time you get stuck by somebody because yeah. it only took me six. <laughs> so, so he sat there. He goes, okay, I'll remember that. You're cool, man. <laughs> you can ride with me anytime you like. Well, I don't have a bike, but okay. Okay. <laughs> I always thought it would be cool, though, to drive a police car and be able to turn on the lights and the siren. I honestly used to have dreams about it. That's how that's how fun I thought it would be. Well, when I interfered for the police job up on Fort Riley, uh-huh. I had a one of the questions they asked me was, why do you want to be a police officer? 
And I go, well, I could give you the textbook answer about I want to help my community and I want to do better for the, help better the world and all that stuff. But really, the truth is, I want to drive fast and carry a gun. Carry a gun. <laughs> two of the guys were civilian police officers before they went to work for the Department of Army. One was in Georgia and the other guy was a retired Kansas Highway Patrolman. In fact, I knew him. He retired the same year. And they both start laughing. Well, the guy who asked me the question, his only experience was as the DA police officer. So he's going, and he just, he didn't know what to say. <laughs> and I go, hmm, prior law enforcement, I'm going to guess down south somewhere. And I know you new at this aren't you <laughs> and he goes, i got the job anyhow so <laughs> that is freaking awesome well rusty i really do appreciate you uh giving some insight i wanted to i wanted to pick your brain and hear about the experiences that you had it's uh it's been really good uh getting to know you and your family and I'm glad that you're here in Milford. You, you plan on staying in Kansas for the rest of your life? I have no idea. I didn't plan on staying here the first part of Where it. did you grow up? Wisconsin. And how did you get from Wisconsin to Kansas? U.S. Army. U.S. Army. I joined right out, delayed entry out of high school in the military when I graduated in 73. What part of Wisconsin? Down in the southeast part of down near a town called Burlington, Wisconsin. Okay. It's... A 30-minute drive from Kenosha, Wisconsin, okay. so you can relate. Okay. Did you like Wisconsin? I actually did, but the problem is as I grew up, as an adult, it's a lot different than as a kid. Because yeah. as an adult, property values are very expensive, taxes are very expensive, and cost of living, you know, is just... And when I got... When I was joined the Army, I could have went back to the job I had prior to joining the Army. Which was? I was working in a toy factory making little plastic toys. Oh, my gosh. Um, and I could have went back to that job, but I didn't like it when I had it the first time. Why would I go back to it? Right. So I had went job hump, hunting my last 60 days in the service, and I had one lined up, I thought. And uh, so what did you What in. did you specialize in in the military? I was a... The title of my job was telemetry intercept analyst operator. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. I had a top secret security clearance. And when I first enlisted, I was thinking about going into military police. My recruiter said, you don't want to be that. You don't want to be that. I go, why? He says, because um, they get all the shit details, man. You don't want to do that. <laughs> And I go, okay, so what do you recommend? He says, I got one for you. He says, it's a gravy job. It's an office job. You don't have to go out in the field, nothing. You'll have a top secret security clearance. I said, what is it? He said, I can't tell you because it's a classified job. So how do I know I want to do this? You can't tell me nothing about it. Well, just take my word for it. It's a gravy job. <laughs> so I signed up for it. Ended up getting it and everything else. Straight out of AIT, I went overseas to Turkey for 14 months. And then from there, I came to Fort Riley, Kansas, which was the lesser of two vehicles because originally I was supposed to go to Fort Hood, Texas. Uh. And I go, mm, 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 mm. 
And that was when a young Mr. Patton <laughs> was handing out field grade Article 15s for people cursing. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> at Fort Hood and I go oh no I have been in Turkey we didn't yeah, no no that's too yeah, much that's like the army not gonna happen. Yeah. <laughs> so I took Fort Hood because a whole lot closer to Wisconsin and, or I took Fort Riley because a whole lot closer than Fort Hood and uh, ended up going up there and staying there and then like I said I finished out my military career there and I had gotten a job which I ended up losing without even going to work for the guy. But and ended up in law enforcement and been here ever since. I've been in, let me see, I came in 75 in the military and I've been here ever since then. Wow. So, wow. Well, I it guess was, I'm a Kansas kid now. You are. No, you've <laughs> spent more time here, I guess, now than you have. Oh, yeah, I only spent 18 years else. in Wisconsin. Yeah, that's crazy. That's Hasn't cool. There's something about Kansas. I do like I do like Milford though. It's a unique place. Well, what I like about one of the things that kept me staying here is number one, I liked the people here. Yeah. And the friendliness of the people here, and everything else in this area. Every people I lived in Junction City. Even when I was in the army, as soon as I could move off post, got enough rank where they allowed me to live off post, I moved off post. It was renting apartments in Junction City or whatever. And uh, I never had an issue. Everybody's talking about well, Junction City. It's a, are you kidding me? I can go anywhere in this town I want to go and nobody allows me. Nobody. I go, I don't know what you guys are talking about. You guys are crazy. Whatever BS people are handing you, you're swallowing a hook, line, sinker because there ain't nothing wrong with Junction City. And so I went down there and I... Did everything else? Got to, involved in the community and stuff, and the church down in the com, in town and everything else. Never had an issue, not once. Maybe that's why I never felt the need to carry a gun off duty either, because I never had an issue prior to being a police officer, and even during my time as a police officer, I never really had an issue where somebody took what I did as my job personally. Like I said, the original gangsters, all these guys I arrested multiple times. Never even had to fight them. Well, I know, but what would have happened had you been like in a gas station or something and someone was like trying to hold up the gas station? Wouldn't it have been nice to have your... Well, it would have been nice to have a gun, but here's the situation. He's already got the advantage on me because he's already got his gun out. And then I have to think about who else am I jeopardizing if I try to go for my gun other than just myself? to cause this person who isn't shooting to start shooting. I always thought it's better to be a live witness than a dead hero. Because ah, if like I'm that. alive and I can describe the guy who was doing this and identify the guy who was doing this, I'm better off that way than a dead guy on the floor of a convenience store trying to draw a gun that I had concealed under my shirt. In my waistband. Or is that whatever. is that kind of like the same as I'd rather be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war? <laughs> <laughs> but you, know, so. Well, you're awesome, my brother. I want you to know that I you're you're a good friend, and I I appreciate you coming on and and talking about that. I really think people will find that interesting. It's uh, it's a weird world that we're in right now, and. 
it it doesn't it, i know eventually it'll get better but i think i think we're going to we're going to see a lot crazier things before it starts the pendulum starts swinging in the other direction but it's it really is about the people that you're around you know like i think that was one of the biggest decisions of why i i loved it here and want to stay here is if shit does hit the fan this is the place i would rather be because I feel like it's more community driven and people really do care about helping one another. And I like that aspect of it. And there's no traffic. <laughs> so there's no need to be upset. <laughs> You're more likely to hit a possum than you are to, to anything else. Or fill your digger tag with the hood of your truck. Yeah. That's okay. right. <laughs> Well, thanks, Russ. I appreciate it. Uh, everyone, you've been listening to the Just Josh and You podcast. I'm your host, Josh Hansen. I really appreciate all of your guys' support, and I'm still getting your emails and your messages on Instagram. And if you'd like to email the show, it's the Just Josh and You podcast at yahoo.com, or not at Yahoo, at Gmail. Sorry, Just Josh and You podcast at gmail.com. And then, of course, if you want to opine on Instagram, it's the Just Josh and You podcast on Instagram. Love to hear from you and get your feedback, as I have been. I appreciate the support. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Carmel and Toyota for my friends in Utah. If you need a new vehicle and a vehicle that will last a long time, go see my friends down at Carmel and Toyota right off of 114th South and I-15. Tell them the Just Josh and You program sent you. They'll make sure that they take good care of you. And uh, you heard it here first. So we're going to go ahead and sign off. So I'm going to say goodbye. We'll catch you on the flip side. Peace be unto you. And we'll talk to you later.